you turn with me, please, to the first epistle of John? The first epistle of John, and we're going to read from chapter 2 and verse 15. If you have your notepad and your pen with you, we're going to do some more study a little bit more this morning rather than devotional, but all of God's Word is devotional to our hearts, isn't it? Really, it's the Word of God that encourages us, convicts us, and also it strengthens us. First John chapter 2, please, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let us pray. Father, take your own word this morning and speak to all of our hearts. May the Holy Spirit move from seat to seat, person to person, young and old, man and woman. And Father, this morning, may he lift up and glorify the Lord Jesus, your son, this morning. We thank you for your presence here with us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've encouraged our hearts around the table to remind us that your son has paid our debt in its fullness. But now, Father, we ask you that you would speak to our hearts that we may take something home with us today. And, Lord, may it find a lodging place. May it grow down and take root. But may it spring up and bear fruit. For Jesus' name's sake we pray. And for his glory alone we ask it. Amen. The title of this morning is To Love or Not to Love. To Love or Not to Love. Or if you want, To Love or What to Love. To Love or What to Love. You know, when 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 starts off with, Love not the world. Love not the world. And notice here, it speaks of love, starts with love. And verse 17, the third verse of our reading, speaks of lust. Verse 17 says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The word love here, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The word love here is the word agapeo, from agape. Now, if we ask one another, what does that word mean? I think nearly all Christians, or most anyway, would would say, well, that's the love of Christ on the cross, and you're right. You're correct, it is. It's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ who came from heaven's glory. 
and went all the way to the cross. Of course, that's what it means. But how do we explain it and express it to not love the world in the same sense? I was talking to a man for a few hours during the week, and we started talking about this, and it just dropped on me. And I have explained, I explained this parts of this to him, and it made me think, well, I'm going to write something, and I got this message this morning. And the word love, agape, or agapeo, it really, uh, if, and I've told you this before, but maybe you haven't remembered it or you haven't heard it before. It has been explained by um, Greek scholars as a love which is called out of one's heart according to the preciousness of the object which is loved. I'm just going to say it again. It is a love which is called out of one's heart according to the preciousness of the object which is loved. For example, your children call the love out of your heart. You just love them. They are yours. They belong to you. They are the object which is loved. And hence, since they're the object that is loved, they call the love out of your heart because they are so precious an object. Okay, so that would be agape or acapeo. That is the love which John is speaking about here. That is the love where it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God willing this morning, time willing this morning, we're going to look at, well, if God tells us not to love the world, yet God loved the world, Is it not a contradiction of Scripture? And I'm going to show you that it's not a contradiction and that we have to dig a little deeper. God willing, we'll get there this morning. But notice it is a love which is called out of one's heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. And hence, this is the love of God for the lost sheep or the lost sinner. And hence, this love is called out. Hence, God fixed his love on his own. And they, that is you and me, we call the love out of the Father's heart. Would you keep your place there and would you turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And before we read a few verses here, I want you to see and I want you to ask yourself, what calls the love out of your heart in relation to spiritual matters, in relation to the gospel and Christ, the word of God? What calls the love out of your heart? Because it would surprise you when we examine our hearts where Christ comes. And according to the things of this life and this world. You know, the first and great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. That encompasses the whole ten commandments. Those two, on these two, hang the law and the prophets. It encompasses the full ten commandments. For if you love God, you'll keep the first four, which are vertical between God and man. 
and then if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you will keep it as horizontal between man and man. Set in Israel, that's what God gave, and that's what God has given for us even to this day. That's why morals are so bad in our nation. That's why morals are so bad in our land. That's why uh, the things that we are seeing in our land, and, and the, we call it the world. And we're going to look at this in a moment. So what calls the love out of your heart and mine? And if we were to take note, I would say we would nearly shock ourselves. Because there's many things and many times we put before the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it that is so precious that is your treasure? Notice in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, please. The words of the Lord Jesus, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is there, there, where your treasure is there, will your heart be also. In other words, that which you prize, will call the love out of your heart. It will be an agape love. If you praise something so much, it will call the love out of your heart. Rather than praising, that is, praising with the preciousness, your walk with Christ, your love for Christ, you following Christ, serving Christ, the Word of God, rather than praising those things first and foremost, and loving them, and loving them so much, it just calls the love out of your heart. So praise you, many believers feel it a drudgery to lift the word of God and read it. I love it when I get the book in my hand. And I just open it and I start reading and God starts showing me things and speaking to me. It calls the love out of my heart for the Savior. Just draws the love out of me. That's an agape love. And I realize his love for me. So I love him because he first loved me. Now notice this, Jesus said in in Matthew 6, 19, Lay not for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. And what he's saying is he's putting a, a temporal meaning on the things of this life and the things of this world which we strive for, which we place in front of Christ. And the idea of this, by the way, um, were moth and rust, rust doth corrupt. It's a word, brosis. Brosis. And brosis gives the idea, uh, well, rust here, but if you look up, if you were to uh, go deeper uh, into the the original text of this, this word rust, R-U-S-T, is only used once here and once in the book of James. But the word brosis means meat. It can mean food. But yet it's rust here. It can mean corruption, yet it's rust here. And the reason it's rust here is believed that Jesus was given a picture of how men who put uh, uh, grains into a granary or into a barrel or, and the rats and the mice would come or whatever vermin would come and eat their way gradually through until they get into the grain, the treasure that the farmers let up and hence it starts to go mouldy and off and disappear and starts to fade and it starts to corrupt. 
And for some reason, the translators put rust here. But rather than uh, like metal rusting, it is uh, like wood being gnawed at. And that which is within the treasure is actually dissolving, disappearing. And if you notice here, he says, where the, the word treasures, for where you're Lay not up yourselves treasures upon the earth. And then verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I want you to get this because the word treasures is the word thesoros. Thesoros. And this is, I'm hoping this will strike a chord with you in your mind and in your heart that you'll think about this when you go home and maybe even tomorrow because this word here, it gives an idea of a place which is good. For collectibles which are precious to be stored. A place which is good. Where things which are precious can be stored. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're holding this which is precious to you. And you're storing it here. And you're calling all the love and time and effort out of your heart. Because it's so precious. Yet the vermin can eat through. And it rusts as it were. It corrupts. But if you were to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you were to serve the Lord and you were to be faithful unto the Lord because you love him, first and foremost and above all others, and way above all else, being unashamed of him and unafraid of others and what they might think or say. There was a man saved here, he's here this morning, saved here, gloriously saved last Sunday night after the meeting. He came right up to here and he says, I'm a sinner. And I need saved. And Andrew and I took him down to the porta cabin. We spoke with him for a while. We prayed with him. And he, he got gloriously saved. And I've seen all week that he's been, even on a Facebook page, putting up about how the Lord has saved him, how his life has changed forever. And unashamed. And even though he gets a bit of hassle maybe from one or two, unashamed. Because this new love, this new love, this new founded love, and the problem is many believers, their love in time tends to, to wane, to dissipate. Like the hymn writer says, my joy is oft times low. My love still ebbs and flows. And that's all of us. But peace with him remains the same. No change. Jehovah knows. And if we look at this, where this rust, these treasures, this they so rust, it means a place where, where it's good that collectibles and precious things are stored. Now, if you keep that in mind, we're up in the heavens, the things of God in our lives to love Christ first. None can rob that, none can steal. And he says, where thieves break through and steal on earth. And it's believed that he meant here where these walls were maybe made of mud, some of them flimsy. And if someone held something dear and precious to them, someone could go around the back of the house and knock a little hole in the wall and come through and steal it. And Jesus is saying, this is what happens to your, your love and your joy and your treasures and that which you hold dear, that which you strive for and labor for and yearn for and work for and, and press after and chase after and put before Christ. He says, yet none of it, none of it can go with you. The old saying is, there are no pockets in a shroud. 
But that which is in heaven, in Christ, it's eternal. This word here for treasures, thesauros. It's where we would get our English word. If you have a dictionary and you look up a word and say you wanted more synonyms, uh, words which mean the same as that word and a little bit more of information on that word. And if you want almost like a commentary on the word and examples of that word, and there's something richer about the word that you're looking up in the dictionary, you look up a thesaurus. A thesaurus. It's the same word. So when we get the dictionary, we look it up and say, wow, I'll look at the, the, the word for this in the thesaurus. And we start reading and go, right, I didn't realize that. And we learn what that word means and more about that word and more examples and synonyms. In other words, other words that mean the same as this. And this is the word that the Lord Jesus is using. He says, if you, if you have a treasure... And if you wanted to, to, to build and work for the treasure on earth, it's, it's going to go to waste. For the, John tells us that the world passes away and the lust thereof. But if we build for heaven, if we work for the kingdom, if we labor for Christ, if we don't faint and press on, if we keep believing and keep trusting And putting Christ first in everything. I mean, in everything. Over your wife, over your husband, over your family. Christ. First. When the Lord Jesus comes to Peter after he had denied him at the shores of Galilee, he says, lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? Does he mean, Peter, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples? This is the argument. Is he saying, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples, Peter? Because Peter denied him, remember? So how could Peter say, yes, I love you more than everybody else? And some people think that he means, do you love me more than the the fishing boats that you said, I go a-fishing when he thought Jesus wasn't coming? Because you're way back to what you know best because you didn't wait on me and trust in my word. But rather, I think it's everything. Do you love me more than everything? Well, look at that more another time. When the Lord comes to you and me, and that which we have strived for, even our efforts, our labors, our times, but do you love me? Do you remember when you used to walk with me? Do you remember when you used to follow me, hard after me? Do you remember when when there was a meeting on you wouldn't dare miss in case you missed something? Do you remember when It wasn't the TV, but it was me. Do you remember when it wasn't the magazine, but it was the Word of God? The newspaper, but it was my Word to you? I was first. I was first. He says to the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2, I have somewhat against thee. 
Because thou hast left thy first love. Because thou hast left thy first love. Uh, and one uh, old scholar translated at one time, because you have stopped loving me the way you did at the start. Remember, when you were first saved, there was nothing too much to do for him. You were always wanting more. You were thirsty, you were hungry. And then as we go on in years, well, the world and the lust thereof come into play and we start drifting, growing old in our faith. And so, in this word thesaurus is the word thesaurus in the word. And the Lord says, if you want these treasures in heaven, listen, all of that stuff that you need isn't on the earth. It's in me, he said. What does he say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So in First John chapter 2, and verse 15, to love or not to love. John tells us to not, not to love the world. The word world is cosmos. We're going to get there in a few moments. Cosmos. And it's a, it's a deep word. It's a word that, well, we take weeks probably. You spend weeks on that one word alone. Because people just think, well, it's the cosmos, the stars. No, it is not. It's the universe. Well, I mean, when I'm saying it is not, it is that and more. That's what I mean. Pardon me. It is the universe and it is that and more. You know, by the way, when someone talks about the universe, when a scientist talks about the universe and how there was a big bang and it was a universe and all this sort of stuff, do you know what universe really means? Uni means one and verse means song, word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And we go right back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So when you hear a scientist talk about the universe, he's talking about one song. That's right, out of the Father's mouth. That there be light. You know, speaks it all into existence. Anyhow, cosmos encapsulates that, but so much more right down to the individual people, to you and I this morning. Luke 16, if you will just flick over with me, please, for a moment. Luke 16, please. That's where I run down to verse 13. The Lord Jesus, again, is the speaker. Notice what he says. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Notice this. No man can serve two masters. Now, there are different words for serve, service, or servant in the Scripture. And here the Lord Jesus, he's given a, a, a basic picture of a certain type of servant. No man can serve two masters. And we'll talk about the word serve in a moment. 
but it's the word oikeus, and it means, it gives the idea of a man or a servant, a person who lives in a house, a household servant, who lives in a house and he lives with others and all are under one master, all are under one authority. And what he's actually implying in this is that you and I, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter your past and background, you are, if you're saved, if you're saved, we're all under one master. And if we love our master, we're all in the one house, the house of God. And if we all love the one master, then we can't have another master because you're going to love one and not the other. You'll eventually despise one rather than the other. Notice here, the word here for serve is a word dulio. Now, if any of you have been studying these sort of things before, you'll recognize these words because they spring off other words. Dulio. And it's from a word, the root word, doulos. Doulos. And it gives the idea of a servant of love or a love slave. One who serves out of love. Turn with me to Exodus 21, please. I'm going to show you a couple of quick verses. Um, I've talked on this subject years ago, and I might do it again some other time over a few weeks. Exodus 21, please. Uh, verse, verse 4, just for time's sake. It's, it talks of a servant, a Hebrew. This is a Hebrew servant or slave. There's different laws for different people. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. This is when it's his time to be released. When he's paid his debt, they were servants or slaves because they were paying debts. This is how you would have paid a debt if you couldn't pay your debt, by service. Verse 5, and if the servant shall plainly say, I love, notice the words, I love my master, my wife, my children, their brother, their, their sister as well, but their brother is the order of things for you as a Christian man. Notice, I love my master. I love Christ first. Then I love my wife and my children. And then it would be the church. Notice here, I will not go out free. So this man's saying, I love my master. I've paid the debt, but I don't want to go free. Notice this. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, and unto the doorposts, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. This is what's known as a love slave. So he takes him. He says, Master, I don't want to go. I love you. I want to be with my wife and my children, but I love you. He takes him to the doorpost. And generally it would have been to somewhere like where we would have City Hall today or the council offices at the time. And he takes him, takes his ear with a large nail, and he nails him to the doorpost through the ear. Then after releasing him, that man has a covenant of blood from the ear with his master. That man, if anyone sees him, 
has a mark in his ear so he cannot be taken into servitude or slavery again because he's a free man now. But he's under a master. He has a master. He has a mark of the master. And hence, when you and I are in the household of God, we, as it were, have our ear pierced, as it were, or the all through the ear, in the sense that we belong to the master. None else, none else can take us and make us slaves. The devil has no power. He has no authority over you, nor claim over your life, nor your home, nor your wife, nor your children. And if anyone says, we can take him, you see this mark, only we're looking at the mark that is of the blood of Christ on us. See this mark, I have a master. See this mark, I belong to someone. And that's what this slave would have done. He was a a love slave. And so that was taken over from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And The Apostle Paul uses this word doulos to describe this Old Testament act. And what he's saying is this. He's looking back at the Old Testament and he's saying, uh, for example, there's many of them opening the letters. Uh, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. He means I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul, the doulos of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm a love slave unto Christ. I serve him because I love him. I'm free. When you're saved and you're forgiven of your sins and you've been washed in the blood of Christ by faith and you know, you have the, the, the Holy Spirit of promise in you and you're sealed under the day of redemption. Sure, you're freer than you've ever been. All of those things of the cosmos of the world has no draw on you. When you're saved, you're Christ and you serve him because you love him. Because you love him. You're a love slave to Jesus. So that brings us back to the treasure. For where your treasure is, the thesauros, all the amount of the riches of Christ, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What draws the love out of your heart because it's so precious to you? I have to move on for time's flying on too. You know, when the Lord Jesus says in John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. The word commandments is entele, and it really means everything I tell you. From the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, not for salvation, but because you're saved. Remember, Glenn read it this morning. The law is written on our hearts. And he says, keep the commandments, even everything I tell you. By this shall men know that you're my disciples when you love one another. He's commanding us. Listen, there's people I don't like. Not in here, no. There's people I don't like, but I love them. I love their soul. Do you know why? Because I'm commanded to. And love is a choice. God choose to love you. It's not just emotional. Love is a choice. So in John chapter, first John chapter two, please, again. Go look at this word cosmos before we round this up. Time's almost gone. 
He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world. So love, love not the cosmos. Okay? Don't let it draw the love out of your heart because it's become so precious to you. That's what he's saying. And if any man allows it to call the love out of his heart because it's so precious to him, he says, then the love for the Father isn't in you. You know why? Because no man can serve two masters. You see where this is all tying in now? None can serve two masters. Okay. James 4. James 4. Please. I know it's more like a study this morning. I'm trying to bring a devotional side to it as well that you and your heart would be encouraged and warmed even. But James chapter 4 and verse 4. Just the one verse. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Notice, know ye not that friendship of the world, the cosmos. Now there's different words for world through the scriptures. We're using this word as a thread this morning. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity, or it can be the friendship of the world is hostility toward God. Notice here, see the word friendship is a word philia. And it's another word that's used for love, but it gives the idea of a fondness. Even if you're fond of the world, he says, it's hostility to God. Now, when I look at this, I'm going to bring in this word cosmos, and I want you to try and just, just give me your attention as much as you can. If you're writing, write it down, because I'm going to go into a little place where maybe you haven't been before. Where you haven't been before, okay? This word, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And this could be uh, the idea of loving as well as it loving you back. So we're going to go into the cosmos. Because sometimes if you love them in their sin, they'll start loving you back, church. Do you get the idea here? And if you're loving the Lord first, guess what? They're going to hate you back. So when the world starts loving the church, that's when we have to be really, really concerned. This word cosmos, in early Greek literature, spoke of this, you ready? It spoke of the establishment of culture, or of a city. It's warm up here this morning. Let me get another drink. So we tend to think it's a universe. We tend to think it's the stars. And it's all of that. It's used for that too. But this word, as I said, is so rich and so deep. You could be here for weeks studying that word alone. If you were going to some of the even the secular Greek writers, they use it, and how they use it is just mind-blowing. And it's taken over now into the New Testament, and the New Testament writers take it. And notice this, cosmos is a, it spoke of a, a building or establishing a culture or city, or it speaks of anything which is made up of parts, 
Okay. For example, cosmos, stars and all the planet, yes, made up of parts. But bringing it down into where we are, the word cosmos was used, for example, for a group of runners. Say you're in a running club and you all go out running together. That would be a cosmos of runners. Rowers. It would be a group of rowers going out and up a river. That is a cosmos of rowers. This is what this word was used for. And what it was, it was building things in their own little world, if you know what I'm saying. For example, uh, soldiers together. A group of soldiers was a cosmos. So what you had was the world of Israel. Their cosmos. And so Jesus takes this word and says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Christ comes and is born in Bethlehem. Crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. And so when it's made up of parts of runners, rowers, soldiers, or whatever it may be, so we get the saying, uh, it's in the world of sport, in the world of uh, acting, in the world of whatever it may be, in the world of music. See what I'm saying? So when we look at it, it means in the world of sinners. In a world full of sin and depravity. And so when God so loved the world, it wasn't that he loved all this sin and depravity because you get people coming from all sorts of places and, and, so, and from all sorts of backgrounds and with all sorts of sin and depravity and pressure groups and lobbyist groups and you get them coming with all their ideologies and their, 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 their LGBTs and their trans and all this sort of stuff. And they come and they say, God loved the world. He loves me the way I am and the what I have done and who I love is love. That's their version, not the biblical scriptural version. God loved the world. We're part of the world. So that means a group of murderers can be a group of murderers and pedophiles can be pedophiles and, and rapists can be rapists. And, and they go, oh, you can't link that with us. But in the word of God, the word cosmos means in their particular field. In their world. So did God love all of that? No, he did not. So when we say for God so loved the world, he's not meaning all of that. But he loved the souls of lost sheep. In the world. He loved the souls of men and women. In the world. If you were to delve into this word cosmos, cosmos, here's what you get in the English out of it cosmetic, cosmetic, and it means that which covers. That which covers. Uh, it gives the idea of clothing covering. That's why when Paul talks about a woman's dress and, and Peter even about modest apparel. It's the word cosmos. To cover with a modest apparel. If you get, if you're a lady that uses makeup, you 
cover your face with it. Do your eyes and your lips, whatever you do. Not stuff your rub in first. <laughs> Cosmetics. And what it is, it means to cover that which is beneath. And it's cosmos. To cover that which is beneath. For example, cosmopolitan comes from cosmos. And it's those from different groups of cosmos. People who make up a city, but it's, you can't tell what sort of city it is. It's lost its identity as what it was maybe in time past. Belfast has lost its identity as this uh, city full of Bible-believing Christian people who took a stand for the word of God. Northern Ireland has lost it. The cosmos of our land. I hope you're getting what I'm, what I'm showing you here, what this word means. And hence, and hence this word cosmetic is when you put on the face, ladies, as it were, the stuff. And when you go home at night and you take off the stuff, they're a wee bit different looking, brother, aren't they? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was <laughs> where is it? Oh, she, I don't where is it? no not about you love it's not about, no it's not about you so years ago we used to go to really early morning prayer meetings uh, they were like you used to have them in periods of time down in Whitewell they were maybe five in the morning they started at so everybody would go to the prayer meeting and go on to work. And <laughs> so one morning, the first morning it was, I'm sitting there, friend here, waiting on the meeting starting. And all these new people started coming to the prayer meeting. <laughs> and it wasn't really that they were so new. It was all the women without their makeup. <laughs> it was so early they hadn't time to put it on. And we sort of decided every young man should be at a five o'clock prayer meeting in the morning. Because <laughs> then, young man, you'd realize what you're going to wake up to after you get married. <laughs> it's all beauty, by the way. <laughs> Cosmetic. You see, that's, that's, what, uh, that's what John's saying. Love not the world because of the cosmetics of it. It's a covering, it's false, it's vain, it's empty, it's useless, and it comes to nothing. In other words, when you take all the glitz and the glamour and you take the lusts away from it, which everybody chases after and which the church is starting to go along with, murder of the child in the womb, well, sure, it's health care. No, it's not. It's murder. Amen? Now they're looking that, that children as young as four can choose their gender in school. But sure, isn't that great? They're freeing the children or it's not. They're poisoning their minds. And that's what the world, the cosmetics that's put on everything in this world, we say about, out in the world, as Christians we talk about, out in the world, it's the, the cosmetics of it all. But see, when you take, as it were, the face off, the cosmetic side of it, you see the reality beneath it. And John, away back then, says, James is warning us of it. We're warned throughout the scriptures, it's all cosmetic. 
It's a cosmos of this group, this people. It all looks like sexual freedom. And it's cosmetic. Turn with me back to the scripture. First John, please. Chapter 2, and we'll finish here. He takes the, John then tries to take the cosmetics off. Tries to take the, take the cosmetics off the world. The cosmos, uh, where these believers were. And for you and I this morning. Verse 15, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What about the churches? who are loving the world to bring the world into the church in order that they may be a bit more loving to the world. Christ didn't love that. He didn't love the actions. He didn't love the sin. He came to save us from it. Not to help us in it. Notice this verse 16. He takes the cosmetics off. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, notice, is not off the Father, but it is off the world. Do you see where we're going with this this morning about loving Christ? Storing up your treasure in heaven rather than on the earth. For this is where you're storing it. That a shroud has no pockets and you can't take it with you. But rather put it in the heavens. Work for the kingdom. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind and strength. Can you see where there's no cosmetics in this. But there's cosmetics in the world. The cosmos of every individual grouping of life makes up the greater cosmos of people. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you're taking notes, I'm not going to go any further on this, but if you're taking notes, you read Matthew 4 when you go home. And you'll read the three temptations of Christ in the wilderness by the devil. And they are linked in with, well, if you want, you can see them in 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 16. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that which was offered Christ by Satan, that which was offered Christ by the devil, Christ overcame it perfect and spotless and holy and pure, impeccable. He's the impeccable son. He's not just the spotless lamb of God. He is the impeccable son of God. No difference between him being spotless and being impeccable. Spotless means he never sinned. He was spotless in all his ways. Never broke the law of God. Impeccable means he could never have broke it because of his deity. But he felt every temptation of it. Power of the Christ. The wonders of the Christ. So when you go home and you look at Matthew 4, if thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread, the devil says. And that's the lust of the flesh. Command these stones be made bread. 
And then it says, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest thou, at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Notice this. That's the pride of life. I'm the Son of God. I can live how I like and do what I want. I can, I can claim God down from heaven the way you hear some people. Pride. Pride of life. Of course, Christ never bowed to one of these. And then thirdly, of course, you have the lust of the eyes. And it's all these things will I give thee if I wilt fall down and worship me. And of course, the Lord Jesus says that we're to worship the Father only. And he refused them all. Yet we, in some manner and point, we love them all. Because of our human frame. That's why we need grace every day. But to love him first. So a couple of quotations I wrote down. Just a couple of lines. And that's me. Thomas Carlyle. Listen to this. Thomas Carlyle. The world is all appearances. Like our clothes. The truth lies underneath. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we're talking about? The world is all appearances, like our clothes. The truth lies underneath. Listen to Matthew Henry, the Prince of Commentators. The world's smiles are more dangerous than its frowns. See, when the world starts to love you, and it's starting to love portions of the church, because why? Because they become friendship, friends with the world. So they love you more. I finish with this. Horatius, Horatius Benar. I looked for the church and I found it in the world. I looked for the world and I found it in the church. Do you love him? Do you love him? Years ago, Years ago, I drove a taxi. I'd done many other jobs, secular jobs, but years ago I was driving a taxi for a while and I picked this minister up with the full collar around, you know. He was going to this church, and let's say, but he, he was a, a Protestant denominational minister. I'm driving along the taxi talking to him. And when he gets to his destination, he's obviously pays me and he's getting out the door. He opens the door and his one leg is out. In my conversation, I felt there was something lacking for him to be if he's a child of God. And on his arm, I grabbed his arm like this before he got out. And he turned to me, turned like this, nearly with a scold, like how dare I touch him. And he looked at me and I just asked him one question. I said, do you love him? That's all I asked him. I says, do you love him? He'd done that with his arm. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And he got out and he slammed the door and walked away. Never forget it. Do you love him? The Lord Jesus Christ, do you love him? I do. Will we put him first? Before everything in our lives and everyone? Christ first. God bless us this morning.